0: As we're returning to 2 Corinthians in our studies, um, today we land on 2 Corinthians chapter 11, the the latter second half of the chapter 11. Um, In order for us to uh, recap and have an overview of where we are, uh, in light of the fact that we took a six week break from the second corinthians let 's give a little bit of a uh, overview on this. The whole thing is about boasting, even in chapter eleven, beginning of the chapter. remember Paul started as a this full speech. What was the point of all that? The question that uh, three ys were going to ask is The first one is is this. Why does Paul engage in foolish boasting? Well, number one, it's because the super apostles, uh, nicknamed by Apostle Paul, the false apostles who came from Jerusalem were known for their triumphalism. Uh, modern day equivalent will be the prosperity gospel preacher's mentality. That health and wealth, and you, if you believe all in this faith, and everything will be successful. Um, and nothing of weakness is shared. So boasting of their credentials, boasting of their accomplishments, boasting of their abilities were shared. And that was used as accusation of the Apostle Paul. He can't even preach well. Why do you listen to him? Well, he wasn't one of the 12 disciples. We were actually commenced by one of those 12 disciples from Jerusalem. And we have done this. We have done this. And we are capable of doing this. Paul detests this kind of boasting because he's a true follower of Christ. And even in slight moment of humor, he doesn't like to boast like this. But he's forced. The question is why? Why does he forced? feel forced? Why don't he just give up on that? Just detach himself. Because what Paul cares the most about is the church. The Corinthian church that he founded, that he preached the gospel of Jesus Christ, that was the true gospel. And for their following Christ was the, what matters most to Paul. And then these false apostles came and gave them different gospel and gave them different way of following And then Paul will defend his gospel, his ministry for the sake of Christ with all his heart and strength. Now he goes into that. The triumphalism um, is very common in our days as well. As I mentioned, typical uh, religious TV broadcasting is dominated by this television list who are prosperity gospels, and they will wear bling blings and they will talk about their jets and they'll talk about this crusades that they're doing in 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 light of all that it is very relevant to our world as well, okay, maybe the younger generation, even our generation is a little bit distant from that kind of spirituality. But even in today's world, the hipster mentality came in. And somehow, this idea of even the word like humility becomes a cool, new age type of way of communicating. But in reality, it's utterly men centered. The second question we ought to ask is why does Paul give so many disclaimers before actual boasting? Beginning of chapter uh, of chapter 11, verse 1, he was hesitant. He was, I'm about to give this full speech. And even today's verse, starts where I repeat over and over. It is due to because not only his reluctance, but his true character of humility. He is extremely uncomfortable. Um, And the third question is, why does Paul boast... ...of weakness. You know, uh, Paul says, Okay, I'm going to engage in foolish boasting. That's the first foolishness, right? But as he engaged in foolish boasting, he makes it double foolishness because the foolish boasting that the uh, uh, false apostles were doing... They will never do this kind of boasting, which is boasting of weakness rather than strength. And this is such a countercultural thing, and radically countercultural. And it, this will differentiate true followers and true spiritual leaders from the ones who are posers in our days as well. I want to keep our uh, study on this latter chapter of 11, verses 16 through 33, with very concise lesson. (coughs) So we could listen and understand and exegete the passage throughout entire passage, and feel very distant. And Paul is just radical. He's kind of crazy guy out there. Okay, Paul went through all this suffering and all this. How does that relevant to me? So I actually am going to flip the end of my study and make that our guidelines. So three things that we could learn from Paul's humble boasting. Here's number one. Regarding self-promotion and discernment, we can learn this. As Christ followers, we are to reject all worldly boasting and discern spiritual leadership likewise. get verse 16. I repeat, not low one, think think me foolish, but even if you do accept me as a fool so that I too may boast a little. What I am saying with this boastful confidence, I say not as the Lord would, but as a fool. Since many boast according to the flesh, I too will boast. For you gladly bear with fools, being wise yourselves. For you bear it if someone makes you makes slaves of you or devours, devours you, or takes advantage of you, and puts on airs, or strikes you in the face. To my shame, I must say, we're too weak for that. What is he repeating here? Paul just di- differentiated, exposed the true nature of the false disciples. They're like like the the. The fallen angel, the evil spirit, who wears his sheep's clothing. And he reluctantly disclaims, putting up the disclaimer, don't think of me like them. I am not like them. In his character and in his ministry, He was far different from the false apostles. And we too can learn from Paul's example. Not to mention secular world that you have to be so good at and even you, you could take um, management class or or marketing class or even interview class for how to do self promotion well and organizationally as well. But have you noticed and even even looking through websites of all different churches, the self promotion is well accepted. Very common. Even to a point, it sounds foolish if you don't boast about church's accomplishment or church's qualities. That our church has several celebrities coming or our church made a difference in this city in that way. And even personally as well. We belong to Christ. We belong to sovereign grace, who has chosen us unconditionally and freely. What, which means unconditional election of our, election of each one of us is there's nothing that we deserve or merit or we are somehow qualifying and look little pretty or handsome. For God to have to choose us. but solely on the basis of Christ's righteousness and merit. And then our natural talents and gifts and strength that we have is also given by God. And there is nothing we could boast about in that sense. This is true discipleship, men and women. And once again, I think we ought to do the full discipleship, true radical discipleship in such a way that we don't even give a hint of that posing mentality. I don't know about you, but I, I did a lot of sports. And one of the things that I, I did when I, ever since I was a little kid was a martial arts and taekwondo and then the Taekwondo, the the the, the last word "do" is the way. The true old school Taekwondo teaches you the spirit of Taekwondo. You don't show off. Even t- some people ask you to do something, and to my shame, I done some. Some shameful things that during my high school, I I got my fame by breaking a pencil with a piece of paper and doing some kicks. So I felt really utterly ashamed because I could see my master kind of scolding me in in the top of my... So even in that school of thought, and even, I, I don't know, maybe some of you guys were exceptionally well in track or football or basketball, whatever the area might be, the truly high-skilled person has a posture of humility. But even that, I'm talking about posing is like, uh, you, you don't really talk about it. But you know you could brag about it. You wait until someone poked at you, and then you could go all out. Something like that. Not even that subtle way of self-promoting. Have you ever thought about this? The reason why today's church, today's Christians are impotent, powerless, is the fact that we have too much strength, confidence on our own strength. Our little church, what can we do? We don't have any money. We don't have a power. We don't have any connections. We don't have any billionaires. So therefore, we should feel weak. We should feel intimidated. And even our facility search. That is the antithesis of faith. In great God. There is no such a thing great man and woman of God serving the Lord. There is only wimpy little weak people serving great God, resulting in glorious results, glorious praise. Second thing we can learn regarding the cost of radical discipleship as Christ followers, as genuine Christ followers, we are to follow the way of the cross fully, not halfway, even when it costs us deeply. Verse 21b starts like this, but whatever anyone else dares to boast of. Paul finally, after 21 verses or so, he finally engages in the foolish boasting he talked about. And the three things that he equates himself with the foolish boasting that the false apostles did was this, number one. And he, 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 once again, he prefaces, and I'm speaking as a fool, also, there to boast of that. Number one, are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offsprings of Abraham? So am I. The three things of pedigree. In that context, it was utterly important that true apostles are genuine Hebrew Israelites, offspring of spiritual father Abraham. He's saying, so am I. But starting verse 23, he goes even further. Are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. And he he says again, I am talking like a madman. Reluctance. And now let's look at it this way. With far greater labors. Far more imprisonments. With countless beatings. And often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews. The forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked. A night and day, I was adrift at sea. So when modern readers look at this, it's like we don't get that impact of the first century reader. You know why? Why? because this is not unheard of boasting. The famous typical boasting that they were so aware of culturally, the trendy things, it was a Caesar Augustus autobiographical boasting. Five times I conquered this and three times I did this. And I free these people into Rome, whatever that boasting might be. It's a parody. Paul knows that they know about this. But he goes the other way around. All these sufferings, all these problems he could have done if he imitates what Paul's apostles were doing or August Caesar I traveled to share the gospel of Christ, three continents. I, I, I built several hundred thousand um, new believers. 200 new churches. I healed some people by touching them. And some of them touched my handkerchief and we were healed. There's more to it. Verse 26 On frequent journeys in danger of rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea danger from false brothers. You know, all these things um, are not, not all of these things are written in the book of Acts. Few of them are written. The first, he talked about hardships of ministry and, and persecution, but just, this is what it costed him To follow Christ. To go where no one has gone before with the gospel. And by the way, if you remember 40 times I received at the hands of Jews. Five times I received. The 40 lashes, less one. This was a notorious Jewish custom. And there were severe uh, beatings. The lashes happen in the synagogue. And they regulate the number. Maximum 39. Unless this person is sentenced to to death. Why? With that kind of lashes. 40 or more. Typically people died. They were killed. So. If you think about it, He received 39 lashes five times. And the beaten with rods, this is a Roman punishment. And by the way, this Roman punishment has no limit of number. But there is only one qualification. Roman citizens must not receive this kind of punishment along with crucifixion. Paul was Roman citizen. But many a times, and even Acts 16, we see in Philippi, Paul and Silas are beaten with rods like this. In spite of he was Roman citizen. And three times he said, Once I was stoned. Remember that in Book of Acts the recording was he was stoned by a mob and people thought he was dead and they took him outside of the city wall and threw him. And the scholars will say by God's grace he was saved. If they went through the typical Jewish ritual of stoning process Paul would not have survived. The systematic of each one taking the stone and throwing at him, but because mob was just getting at him, too many things were happening at the same time. He was probably self- unconscious already, and he they seemed to be satisfied. And they, all the anger is gone, and took him outside. He's dead. But he got up. Later on. And there is a little bit of a question mark on whether he was really dead and God raised him. Or whether he was not severely put to death that way. And most likely I I, I think the latter is fine. It doesn't have to take that. But there might be another unwritten incident like that. Three times I was... Shipwrecked, this was written before he was taken to Rome as prisoner to to stand before Caesar and then we know there was a shipwreck in in um, in that course of the day, so at least four times what do you think of? Paul when you read all this I I feel convicted and I ask myself what kind of suffering have I gone through because of the, the gospel or Christ inconveniences uncomfortable feeling a few times I felt really lost in in the middle of the airport in China, not knowing the language, and having to use public bathroom. It, it, it is smelly. It, it is difficult if you are home, if you are germ phobic. Probably uh, you hold it so many days. My son. Um, One of my sons held three days or four four days he finally couldn't handle anymore. So he had to go to squat the bathroom. From then on he was (laughs) fine. Who in the history of the church And even, you know, all different kinds of religious movement. Who went through this? And to a point, Apostle Paul saying, from this point on, be careful. In Galatians, he said, because I have marks of Jesus in my body. He's talking about all those tortures and things that he went through. the key question that we ought to ask is, what is true radical discipleship? If I go fully, not looking for sufferings and pain, but because of willingness to follow Christ fully. Or there are some things that subtly in our culture, there's persecution, and we need courage for that. Our church needs courage not to compromise, not to become fearful in going forward, not to choose the way of the world, but to choose the way of Christ, way of the cross. There's one more. Actually, two more in this instance. 27. In toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night. Sometimes because of hardships and persecution, he's on, on the run. Sometimes because he was teaching literally all night long. This was the last time he had a chance to teach the word of God. And even young men fell from third floor listening to Paul late night. And he was revived again but they end up staying all night until the daybreak. He preached. In hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there is daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Paul thought of one of the key sufferings that he went through that exposed his hardship, his, his weakness, frailty, is because of his anxiety about the church. This is the kind of anxiety that is not sinful. As much as you are anxious for your child when he was really high temperature in the middle of the night, that anxiety is a good anxiety. But I could tell you, uh, even pastoring this church with a different mindset, 11 years of my life, if I have a posture of Christ, And I want to care for each person and shepherd people in the way that Christ commands me to do. Or it costs me. When your family is not doing well, when your marriage is not in the rock, I have pain. But this is only small church that I have. But think about all the churches Paul founded and every day He was anxious. Daily pressure. It came, snuck upon him. So unlike those super apostles that bragged about their credentials and accomplishments, Paul here chooses to boast about his suffering for the gospel. This is, the suffering is a true mark of discipleship. I, I, I want to clarify, be very cal- careful with this caveat. I am not talking about running into wall, running into problems, asking for pain and suffering at all. But I'm asking. I'm I'm differentiating this mark as a willingness to follow Christ at whatever the cost. In this society, in this trend of culture, uh, Christians sometimes can be hit. The cool way of being a Christian. Oh, of course, you could talk about justice. You could talk about. Uh, anti-human trafficking. You, you could talk about human, community development, humanity works, uh, volunteering. And, uh, you, could, you could sound like a very, very trendy person, even in the non-Christian world. But when there is a cost, will we choose to follow the way of the cross or way of the world? Have you ever stood up for the weak person who cannot speak for themselves? There is a cost for that. Have you cared for the poor? I mean, I'm not talking about poor. It's a person who is struggling to um, buy good things. I'm talking about there are people who are Strongly with the basic needs. Even in our city. But when there is a caring, true following Christ, there is a cost. And I think one of the things that we ought to do, and I don't need to read scripture like this, but read the biography of radical Christians. Recently, I found out um, early days of, in Korea. One of the very first Christians by the name of last name Choi. He became such a searcher, deep carer for the lepers the Henson's disease people. And his church was welcoming those le- lepers, social outcasts. And that city in Kwangju was threatened by this city because all these people around the country, they were gathering, having heard this Pastor Che would welcome them and to build a facility for them. Care medically for them. And he became rejected. By the church. By the, by the city. And by the, city, by the church. That he had to relocate. Somewhere else. There is a cost. In following Christ. Brothers and sisters, we are in danger, not the same kind of danger in China who is experiencing severe persecution right now, that they will be detained and not only put into prison, but some you know churches where well, hundreds of people will be taken to prison because of their faith. But the danger we, in which we live is this. The air that we are breathing right now somehow allows us the half-hearted discipleship. Just because we sing Christian songs and we go to church once a, once a week or a few times a, a month that we become Christians. And it's, it's okay to not to follow in Christ in this. And if you don't feel like it, you don't have to forgive. If you don't feel like you don't have to help the poor, you don't have to feel stand up for the people who are marginalized. We don't have to reach out overseas for the people who are lost, unreached people groups. Let's follow Paul's example, his willingness to choose the way of the cross. And third and final lesson is regarding the humility of Christ-like leadership. As Christ followers, we are to imitate Christ and Paul in leading others with humility. Look at verse 29. Who is weak and I am not weak? who is made to fall and I am not indignant. If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness, the God and, the, and Father of the Lord Jesus. He who is blessed forever knows that I am not lying. At Damascus, the governor under King Aratus was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me, but I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped his hands. The interesting thing about what Paul is doing here is he started with a foolish uh, suffering, a foolish boasting, which is about his suffering, and then he just blatantly said, If I'm gonna boast, I'm gonna boast about my weakness, things that show my weakness, infirmity, another translation will say. And it really shows the deep, genuine humility as he was following Christ. This is not a poser's humility. This is not a new age, cool is it, zen humility. One writer kind of using humor, pun intended, he, Paul was a basket case here. Just think about his helpless state of somebody lowering the basket through the wall. <coughs> it was recorded in in the book of Acts as well. Paul was utterly, like Christ, other-centered person. His ministry was powerful, not because he was such a great person, but because of his humble and his weak choosing to boast in weakness. Oh, this is so countercultural. In in today's world, even in Christian world, it is not accepted fully so many places. The theology of weakness the crescendo will will experience in chapter twelve when he talks about God's grace for him. But he experienced God's supernatural power, not his power. But supernatural power of God revealed when he chose to humble himself. When he chose to be weak. So John Piper writes about humility this way. Humility is not a popular trait in the modern world. It's not touted in the talk shows or celebrated in in valedictory speeches or commended in the diversity seminars or listed with corporate core values. And if you go to the massive self-help section of your sprawling mall bookstore, you won't find many titles celebrating humility. The basic reason for this It's not hard to find. Humility can only survive in the presence of God. When God goes, humility goes. In fact, you might say that humility follows God like a shadow. We can expect to find humility applauded in our society about as often as we find God applauded. In this atmosphere, humility cannot survive. It disappears with God. When God is neglected, the runner-up God takes his place, namely man. And that, by definition, is the opposite of humility, namely the haughty spirit called pride. So the atmosphere we breathe is hostile to humility. Piper is so right. Remember, I shared about my fasting and prayer last week. On Friday, God revealed my sin. And this was a subtle thing. And deeply, I I don't want to even go detailed detail about it, Because I'm the kind of pastor, who was, who's been willing to choose humility. In the subtle way, the Spirit revealed the size of pride and size of, like, the half humility in my heart. It hurt. Do you get Piper's point when? God shows up. Humility shows up. Why? Because God is omnipotent. God is omniscient. God is holy. We are sinners. And before God, no one can boast. Before God, we feel our own depravity, our fallenness. It's not lowering myself. It's thinking about who I am in front of God as the reality reveals. But apart from God, I could handle, I feel like I could handle my life, my problems. I'm a resourceful person. Have you ever been sick, really sick, to a point that you are just energyless? And even it's a severe flu. The perspective change. Isn't it? Suddenly, you are not the same person who is resourceful, who could resiliently go through this life. Like, Apart from you, Lord, I cannot survive another day. Knowing that without crisis... Is humility. And as we humble ourselves through fasting and prayer, the posture that we need to take and the prayer and dependence we need to take is this. I wanna share two more quotes. One is more negative and negatively speaking, and one is positively speaking. Jonathan Edwards. <clears throat> right. nothing sets a person so much out of devil's reach as humility. So remember this? Let it sink in your heart especially this coming week. If we really truly see ourselves humbly as we are before god we are out of touch reach from devil's schemes and positively I was reminded Friday night Andrew Murray's quote Andrew Murray says Just as water ever seeks and fills the lowest place, so the moment of God finds you abased and empty, his glory and power flowing. Wasn't that what Apostle Paul did? That his life, his weak vessel was filled with God's glorious power, Do you believe this? Do you believe that your own strength and your own accomplishment cannot not only merit that for God to use you for his glory, but also the truth that even if you have nothing to boast worldly, you have nothing to really count on, you feel very utterly Long self esteem in some sense. But if you obey yourself, humble yourself before God, His glory and power will flow into your life. In the same way, Crossway Church, when we humble ourselves before God, And truly, genuinely, without opposing posture, God's glory and God's power will flow in. And that's my prayer for each one of us in the coming 14 weeks of a fasting and prayer chain. What a glorious God we serve. awesome God we serve let's pray Father we thank you so much for this simple truth that you are seeking those who are self-abased and <clears throat> in our esteem, we are not high and haughty, but we see ourselves as we are before God. And thank you for this truth that we could be used by you for your purpose and your glory. And I pray for each one of us in this room that this theology of weakness will be ringing clear in our ears, in our heart, throughout 2019. And Lord, as we fast and pray in this 14-week fasting and prayer chain, I pray the unusual, the kind of grace and mercy and power that we have never experienced will wake us up. Revive us. Make us spiritually ready. We pray all these things in the mighty name of our Lord Jesus, our divine Savior. Amen.